Hello and welcome to Relationship Talk, the podcast hosted by Teresha Young, Relationship Master Coach. Now, each episode, we bring you an inspiring guest to help you find a deeper understanding of yourself, to set yourself up for dating, relationship, self-love and self-empowerment success. So enjoy, take notes and get ready to apply all key messages you learn today. Hello and welcome to Real Relationship Talk, the podcast hosted by yours truly, Teresha Young, Relationship Master Coach, where we have open, non-judgmental, heart-to-heart conversations about love, self-love, self-care, dating and relationships. And wow, what a way to kick off season four than by having a conversation with the world-renowned Paul Carrick Bronson. Paul, welcome to the show. It's an honor to help you kick off yeah, right, this new series. So let's let's kick it off with a bang. I like exactly. It. Let's do this. I'm so excited for this conversation. It's an honor and privilege to be having a conversation with you, Paul. I've been following your work for several years now, and your message really resonates with me. The amount of knowledge and care and compassion and empowerment that you share with people is super, super inspiring. So I can't wait for this conversation. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I feel, I feel like you're putting the expectations high. <laughs> it's a good thing I had my latte before we got started. So I'm ready. We will do this. We will absolutely do this Paul thank you I'm just going to for those who don't know the world-renowned Paul I'm just going to share a little bit more about who you are and what you do for okay. so Paul is a relationship counsellor matchmaker serial entrepreneur television host and author who specializes in relationship science an internationally recognized expert in interpersonal relationships personal development and entrepreneurship Paul currently serves as co-host of UK's Celebs Go Dating and Married at First Sight UK. Yes. Major media outlets such as Good Morning America, Lorraine, The New York Times, The Guardian, US Today, The Jamaica Observer and Steph's Pat Lunch have sought his insights. Paul is also the global relationship insights expert for Tinder, recognized as a top voice on LinkedIn and was a featured expert on Steve Bartlett's The Diary of a CEO. The Matchmaking Institute recognized Paul as one of the world's most influential matchmakers. And Oprah Winfrey says Paul is much more than a matchmaker. A proud second generation son of Jamaica, Paul's greatest achievements are his roles of husband and father. When he's not serving the world, he's serving his family, likely with a red striped beer (laughs) in one hand (laughs) and a good book in the other. Yes, yes. That sounds good. Is it your own book? Uh, well, you know, it's it's any book. Uh, I, I try, yeah, I, I try to read a different book every week, week to two, uh, and I try to drink a beer. Uh, just, I, you know, I'm going lighter on the beer now, so okay. I'm, I'm like a, a one or two a week beer drinker now. Okay. Yeah. Still yeah. the red stripe. Oh, I, I I do actually anything, <laughs> but but Red Stripe is my favorite for sure. Okay, because I was going to ask you actually. Firstly, I want to welcome you and the Bunsen family as official residents of the UK. Thank you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank so, you. had your beer preferences changed? <laughs> no, that, that, that's a great question. You know, so I like uh, this Brixton Lager. Oh. Uh, yeah, that seems to be my. If I'm out, I either go with Red Stripe or I get a Brixton Lager. Uh, definitely my consumption my ability to consume beer in one sitting is definitely going up because i remember <laughs> when i got here i ordered the first 
pub I went to, I ordered what I thought was a pretty big drink. And it turned out to be half a pint. <laughs> and they were like, hey, little man, that, you got the wrong thing there. Yeah. So, uh, so, so now I've stretched it. So, you know, so I can walk around with, with my pint. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I mean, you know what? We love the UK. Uh, my 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 family and I love it. Uh, we love London in particular. We love South London in particular. Uh, we love it. Yeah, it's an absolutely amazing place to be. Would you say that anything's changed for you since becoming official, or is it just oh. rubber stamps? No, no. You, you know what? That's another brilliant question. Uh, a, a lot has changed actually, because what is not often talked about is the pathway to securing a visa in the UK and actually in the US as well is very challenging. Yeah. So it took us three years to actually get, get on this pathway. And the particular work that I was doing prior is, you know, is mostly in television here in the UK. Yeah. And my visa was typically attached to each project I did, which meant that as soon as that project was over, I would then typically have to leave the UK, come yeah. back into the UK, it also limited the number of projects I could do because if you're on a particular visa working for a particular company, you can only work a certain amount of hours outside of that project on other, you know, other endeavors. Yeah. So now that I'm a resident, you know, I'm working every day, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know I, I'm, I'm able to do different projects. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. able to have a little bit more freedom. Uh, we're able to participate in, you know, like NHS and, and, you know, yeah. and, and other aspects of of uh, of the culture so it's yeah a lot of changes and we feel it and we're appreciative oh gosh it's such a journey such a journey that you've had and i would love for you to share a little bit more actually about your journey paul some of the highlights of your life journey and your career that led you to doing what you do now yeah well so my background uh is in finance uh and a lot of people don't don't realize that but i spent a long time in finance so i spent uh spent about eight years working in the finance space. So I went to business school, I was an investment banker, I managed investments for a very wealthy uh, family. And that was my, that's what I thought was going to be my career. And then what happened is, is I, uh, you know, I always joke, I say I'm Jamaican, so I have 10 jobs. Uh, <laughs> and like, I really do have 10 jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, and when, when I was working in the finance space, one of the jobs I had was, was I created my own, uh, you know, tutoring, nonprofit tutoring organization, where we helped a lot of uh, black kids in particular who were coming from low income households. Uh, we helped them with uh, uh, math. Oh, you, you would always say maths. We would say math, yeah. uh, science, English, just tutoring them. Uh, and these were kids. These were high school kids, you know, 17, 16 years old. And one particular summer, we had 100 kids in our program. And one of the questions at intake was how many parents live in your household? Because we were trying to understand what the what the parental structure was. Really, it's just so we could contact them. That was it. And it turned out that out of 100 kids in this program, not one, not one of the 100 had both parents living in, in, in the household with them. And, and that, that, that really made me think, and that put me down a path of, okay, um, you know, is there an impact? Do two parent households have an impact on children versus one parent households? Mm. Uh, does having any type of male presence uh, in the household have impact, you know? And then that led me down starting to research. And that was the first time I started to actually research the psychology around family 
And that was my initial draw into the relationship space. And that's what led me down this road to eventually becoming a matchmaker. And then once I launched my matchmaking agency with my wife, because a lot of people don't know this story too, is that my wife, uh, she was working for a law firm in Washington, DC. We didn't have the capital to start the business. Mm -hmm. She liquidated her retirement fund, okay. invested in the business. Yeah. And, and, and the reaction to that then was, are you crazy? What are you doing? Like, <laughs> yeah. you take all of your savings and give it to this crazy guy, you know? <laughs> uh, so that was kind of how we got started. And to start promoting the business, we launched a YouTube series at the time. It turns out then Oprah Winfrey becomes one of the viewers of, wow. this, of this web series. She then offers an opportunity for me to co-host a television show with her. And TV was never on my radar. You know, I, I was just considered myself to be an entrepreneur. Uh, and uh, but I get this offer, this incredible offer. I co-host this show with Oprah. And, and simultaneously, what happens is, is I simultaneously launch a television career. OK. Matchmaking business grows over 10 years. It becomes one of the, uh, the largest matchmaking uh, uh, you know, firms in the United States. We sell the matchmaking agency and then we move here to, 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 to London. I was offered a show here. So that's, that's kind of how we got here. Wow. The move from finance into relationships is not necessarily the most linear progress, is it, or journey along those ways. But I like the way how you moved into relationships and the research that you've done behind it. I'm very curious about the relationship science part of it. So yes. what is the science behind relationship? What did you discover? Yeah. So, you know, what's interesting is, is that there's, you know, the last 20 years has been incredible for relationships. Mm. And the reason why is because we now have more research available to us than ever before. You know, you think about we have now evolution, like think about something like evolutionary psychology, mm. which is a major, major pillar of relationship science. And by the way, when I say relationship science, I'm referring to all science that mm. impacts our relationship. So that could be biology, that could be physiology, that could be evolutionary psychology, right? All of these sciences impact how and why we show up in relationships. Mm. But the beauty for us today is that we now have people who spend their full time studying short-term mating or long-term mating yeah. or how trauma impacts relationships. Mm. And so we've never had this abundance of data, you know, empirical evidence around relationships. So my job is to look at all of this, this, this research. In addition to, we have now massive companies like Tinder that I work mm -hmm. for. Um, and, you know, with Tinder, we have over 50 million users, right? So you think about how much data we have. It's the biggest dating app in the world. And so we have we have a multitude of data that we could look at behaviors. Why are people clicking into certain profiles? Why do people deny certain people? What are the behaviors? And all of this makes up this world of relationship science. Yeah. And, 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 and it's something that I'm fascinated by. And, you know, I'm a super nerd. Uh, I read research every day. And it's mm -hmm. something that, that, uh, that inspires me because 20 years ago, when people talked about relationships, they, we just guessed yeah. like, how do you become attracted to someone? We would just guess. What goes into a strong relationship? It was more or less a guess. Mm. Whereas today we have all of the 
research behind what, how do you become attracted to someone? How do you, you know, what, how, how can you strengthen your relationship? When is it the right time to leave a relationship? All of this, we, we have, we, we have the data now to, to tell us. And, and, and that's beautiful. It is. It's such a privileged position to be in. And um, particularly when you're talking about dating apps and Tinder and the so many users that you mentioned there on Tinder. Now, what are your thoughts on the paradox of choice because of the number of users now using dating apps? Because you've got that whole more is less. And then perhaps even a little bit of analysis paralysis behind yes. it. And then when you actually make a choice, you're unsatisfied with the choice that you've made. So what have you discovered, particularly with working with Tinder about the paradox of choice? Yeah, so you know, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned paradox of choice uh, mm. because the gentleman who wrote that book, Barry Swartz, that is A, it's one of my favorite books. Uh, B, he's, he's one of my favorite researchers in this space. And Barry Swartz didn't focus on relationships, mm. but he did focus on many concepts. And he is the person who coined the phrase, more is less, or, you could say less is more, right? Mm. And the I think what Barry Swartz said versus what's happening today is so what he essentially said is is everything that you just said, but that is is that when we tend to have lots of options, mm-hmm. what we tend to do is we have less satisfaction with each option that we then select, mm. right? So that's the idea. The idea is that you could have you, you know if you if you feel like you have a hundred options and you Mm -hmm. pick one of the 100, you will have less satisfaction in that choice than if you feel you only had three options and you select one. Mm. That's what he's saying. And when you think about a dating app, most people believe that they have endless options. So therefore they put less value in the option that they choose. Right. So, so, so this is the case. This is definitely, definitely, definitely one of the downsides of Mm. dating apps. You know, dating apps only became popular in about 2012, right? Mm. You have the launch of Tinder. uh, And before that, in the 1990s, what you had is you had dating websites. Mm. But when you have Tinder launch in 2012, what you get is you have finally you get mobile, right, usage. And this is where you begin to feel like you have this endless choice. Mm. And what dating apps did, you know, Tinder being one of them is they used gamification a little bit, right? So made it, you know, the idea was, you know, you're swiping, it's 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 a bit of fun. Right? Yeah. That being said, the positive mm-hmm. to dating apps and the positive to, to, to this wide amount of choice is that we now have an opportunity to meet people that we never would have met otherwise. Oh, yes. That's that's the power. So that's the reason why mindset is so important. As a matter of fact, it's the most critical aspect to being able to go into using a dating app effectively is not to go in to say, I've got endless choice, so therefore it doesn't matter who I choose, opposed yeah. to the mindset of I'm going to go in I have lots of options. I'm going to meet incredible people that I've never met ever in my life. And this is a privilege to be able to do it. Mm. That, that small bit of, uh, you know, uh, difference of mindset makes a big difference in how you use the app and then the outcome because of how you've used the app differently. Yes. I love that because it's almost like you get yourself into the energetic state of being in gratitude. 
being yeah. gratitude for the experience that you're going to have on that dating app and i love that you're talking about mindset because i'm a fan believer that the relationship you have with yourself sets the bar and the tone for the relationship that you have with other people so knowing yourself trusting yourself loving yourself accepting yourself is so important to even be able to attract your potential partner so when we're talking about mindset Paul I wondered you know what are your thoughts on how we can create a healthy sense of self in order to be able to attract that love relationship or whatever we're looking to attract Okay, this this is a good one. I mean, so I mean, right off, uh, I'd recommend a book. So Carol Dewick, uh, uh, she wrote a book called Mindset. Uh, it's a, it's, a, it's an international bestseller, and it's also it's probably a top twenty book, uh, you know, in terms of books that I've read. And what uh, you know, Carol Dewick paints in this book is that we all fall within one of two categories, depending on the scenario. We either have a closed or what's called a fixed mindset, or we have what's called an open mindset. An open mindset believes that through adversity and through uh, you know hardship, we can learn, we can we become better, we acquire new skills, right? So we become better as a result of those skills. And a fixed mindset or a closed mindset states that what we have is what we have. You know, what you get is what is what's coming to you anyway. Mm. Now, to your point is that when you begin to look at the people who tend to do the best when it comes to dating, and, and when I say the best is, you know, I think we as people in the relationship space have to identify that the best at dating doesn't necessarily mean that you meet a spouse, you get married, you stay married for, mm-hmm. for years, right? Yeah. There, there's a, there, there, should, there should be a varying degree of best, but ultimately the end of the day whether you're in a relationship or not truly life is about you like at the end of the day it really is you know yeah. and it's, and if you think of maslow's hierarchy of needs mm-hmm. really what we're trying to do what most of us are trying to do is get to that highest level mm-hmm. of self-actualization where we're living our best self because when we are living our best self and we are you know um we are living optimally what does that mean it means that we're better parents. It means we're better spouses. It means we're better contributors to society. We're better contributors to our community, right? That's what it means to live the self-actualized life, right? Mm, And so ultimately, that means that we are important, right? We, I, right, are important. So therefore, moving into a space of open mindset, is really the key, you know. So uh, the best example I can give is when we had our matchmaking agency up in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever visited Washington D.C.? No, I've not been to New York, but not Washington. No. Okay, so Washington is like a uh, like a baby New York. Okay. Right? Uh, it's a it's a baby New York, and it's a very transient town. Mm-hmm. So most people that you meet in D.C. were not born in D.C. They moved to D.C. And like clockwork, here's what would happen is if I had a client who, say, was from D.C., they and and let's say, you know, and I would always have the same type of client, Uh, you know, she'd be like 35 years old, single, single, one child, moving up the corporate ladder, you know, looking for her husband. And normally I get one of her who was born in D.C., then I get another one of her, but she's just moved in from 
South Carolina or somewhere else in the States. Uh And the difference between the two was like day and night. The one who lived in DC would typically say, oh gosh, you know what? You know, I don't like everybody here. You know, everybody, you know, I keep running in the same circle, Mm -hmm. the same people, all these new people moving in, blah, blah, blah. Whereas the person who had just moved in and is experiencing everything for the first time would say, wow, love DC. It's so new. It's so different. You know, the people, everything is, 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 is different, you know, and because of that, I'm interested in it. Mm. That is a great example of closed versus open mindset, right? You tell how someone like that woman who had just moved in, how every experience is going to light her up. So therefore every dating experience is going to be something new. It's going to be something different. And that doesn't mean she she doesn't meet trifling people, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or, or or pray. It, but it does mean that every opportunity, she's like, wow, I can learn something from this. And therefore, she has higher satisfaction. She shows up as her best self. Mm-hmm. Therefore, she has a higher likelihood of yeah. then finding a significant other. So, you know, it, it's open versus closed is, is a big thing. Mm, I love that because I remember one of your videos you spoke about how you became insanely curious about the UK before you actually moved here so what you're saying is almost like having this insane curiosity about the dating experience and what you can learn from it how you can grow from that in order to have that open growth mindset which is so important so I'm, I'm curious actually Paul so when you said that, I thought, now, how can we be more insanely curious about love and relationships? And wouldn't it be great if we had that sense of fun, that aliveness, that spiciness, that sense of fun? But love is such a broad term. And I wondered, I'm curious, Paul, what is your personal definition of love? And in a romantic context, what does it mean to you? Yeah, no, that's a great one, because so many people have different, uh, you know, um, definitions on this so 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 for mine i have a i have one that i go to um and i I will also say that i don't just say this but plug (laughs) is uh uh, a mentor plus friend of mine is dr helen fisher okay And, and she is uh i would say in the world she is probably the top um researcher around how we fall in love and in particular, what falling in love, that process does to our brain, does to our body, right? Mm-hmm. So she, she, she's researched this. Uh, and here's what I gleaned from her research and from my observation. Okay. There's three components to make romantic love in no particular order. One is friendship. Mm-hmm. Friendship could be defined many ways, but Dr. Uh, uh, Robin Dunbar is, you know, royalty on what friendship means. He just wrote a a great book uh, called Friends. Uh, But ultimately, friendship, you know, the likability to be with someone, the fact that uh, you have uh, you you have someone that you feel will always be there for you. Right. Mm -hmm. There, There doesn't have to be any type of deeper intimacy than just the friendship but there's a friendship right Mm -hmm. and that's more so in the the likability category yeah so your friendship number two is you have intimacy intimacy doesn't just mean physical intimacy yeah intimacy i'm talking about the deepest level of emotional intimacy feel as if you can be extraordinarily vulnerable with someone 
mm-hmm. and they won't judge you because yeah. of it, right? So you've got the intimacy. Yeah. And then last but not least, you have commitment. <sighs> you have someone who you feel is if they will be there for you tomorrow, the mm. same way they are for you, you're, they're there for you today, yeah. right? So therefore, if you have friendship yeah. plus intimacy plus commitment, that together means that you have romantic love. Wow, that's really, really powerful. And particularly when you mentioned about the commitment state of it, I'm thinking like trust is a huge, is a huge component of that to know that you can trust that somebody has your back your friend has your heart so I remember on marriage at first sight um UK that you said that trust comprises of three key things which was transparency which was consistency and compassion and I would love to explore why those three things in particular when there's a, a whole list of things that could make up trust why those three things in particular yeah because it's a tv show and I have to say things quickly <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this this is can I say this is is this is the hardest <laughs> part of you know TV shows like Married yeah. Friends, Slubs Go Dating, or even live stuff is that you have to take these complicated concepts, yeah, and you have to mash it down <laughs> into something that could be said in like five seconds. Yes. So it's like, all right, grab something real quick. So 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 what I try to do, uh, quite mm-hmm. honestly, is. What I try to do with, say, Married at First Sight in particular is yeah. try to teach the mm-hmm. audience through the cast because most people don't have access to a therapist. Yes. And I'm saying, like, literally don't have access. You could go you could go through NHS right now to sign up for a therapist and you will be placed on a one-year, two-year wait list. Yeah. You know? So... Most people don't have access. So therefore, they do come to television shows, podcasts, yes. YouTube series to get their therapy, to get their healing. Mm. So, so that's the idea. That's the reason why, why I delivered it that way. But ultimately, ultimately, trust stems from how we interpreted trust when we were children, when we were adolescents, right? Mm. And everyone ends up having a different definition of trust. Yes. But ultimately, if you were to summar- if I were to summarize it, I would say that just like commitment, the idea is that you believe that someone will show up for you in the same way they're showing up for you today. Mm. Which, which is why, you know, sometimes people will say, you know what, um, this guy I'm with is is not the greatest, but I, I can trust what, what he's going to do tomorrow because you know that he'll show up for you. Maybe not in maybe maybe not in the most uh, in, in the strongest way that a human being can show up for you, but you know what he's used what he's been doing in the past. So mm. there, you know how he'll show up for you t- tomorrow. So there could still be a level of trust, okay. right? So 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 that's where. Uh, trust is that you just know that someone is going to show up for you tomorrow. That's that con- consistency piece. The same one that they're going to show up for you today. Mm. It's interesting that you say that there because I'm thinking about the negativity bias and how we can often yes. look back on the things that haven't gone right. But what you're saying there is remember how that person has showed up for you as well in the past because it's so easy to forget those things, isn't it? 
Yeah. And, you know, any type of bias, like a negative uh, uh, bias, it is it's it's self, uh, you know, self-generated. Uh, mm -hmm. And and so uh, but but we have to understand this, you know, when it comes to our love life, we're irrational. Yeah. Right. I mean, you think about if you have a friend that comes to you mm -hmm. and they explain to you what's happening in their love life. And it's not like even a close friend. I'm talking about like a colleague that you just oh, have yes. to sit next to that you really mm -hmm. don't, you know, mm -hmm. but you hear them talk about the, the, their relationship. Yeah. Now, when you hear that, are you typically able to give them good advice? Absolutely. And the reason why is because you're very rational about it. Mm -hmm. You have no emotional connection to what's happening, right? You can listen to them actively in terms of what's happening, you mm -hmm. know, so you're typically very rational. Yeah. But when it comes to your relationship, you're not rational because yes. you are emotionally tied into mm -hmm. the person, to the scenario, to the yeah. outcome. And therefore you have all types of biases that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Past trauma shows up, everything. And so therefore you can't be, you can never be fully rational when it comes to your relationship. But just acknowledging that is helpful. Yes. That in itself is helpful. Yeah. Because when you spoke um, previously as well, the thing that was coming to me was attachment styles. Yes. So when you spoke about you know, what you have experienced as a teen, adolescent, or when you were growing up as a kid, that will have some impact on your ability to be able to relate and connect with somebody in a relationship. And it's having that awareness in terms of what your personal attachment style might be. Because the great news is, is that once you have that awareness, you can do something to change it if it's one of those non-secure attachment styles. But it really is what I was alluding to before is about really getting to know yourself a, a bit more about any past traumas, patterns that may be showing up for you. Yeah. And, and you know what's also missing? And I agree with everything that you just said. I completely agree is a big piece that's missing that we really need to talk about is that trauma is also generational. Mm. You know, I've seen people like uh, Gabor Mate talk about how 50% uh, of all trauma and I, I won't pin it at 50%, but, you know, it's a large percentage of all trauma is generational. Think about that. So the trauma that your grandparents went through, yes. and we know they went through some stuff. Yeah. That passes through the family. It passes down to you. Yeah. You hold that and yeah. you react and you have triggers and you turn people away and you're attracted to certain people as a result of that trauma. Yes. Yeah. So getting to know, so to your point, getting to know yourself, getting to know your trauma, getting to know mm -hmm. how you attach, how you love, why you love is all, a component of that is also about understanding, well, how did my parents love? Yeah. What are my parents? What were my parents' attachment style? Mm. What trauma did they potentially face? What about my grandparents? What was addressed? What wasn't addressed? Just the awareness is what then leads to the healing. So that's that that's it, that's it's it's critically important for us to be aware of these things. Yeah. And when I'm working with my clients as well, for example, if there is any legacy, DNA, ancestral trauma that may be coming in, I do love to do forgiveness work 
with them too, to be able to go on that healing journey, to be able to send love to that experience too and learn to heal from that. And that can be self-forgiveness work. It could be forgiveness work of other people. But I do think the ability to be able to say, I'm not condoning somebody's action. That's not what forgiveness is about. It's a case of just dropping it and allowing yourself to release yourself from the burdens or any unhealthy, heavy thoughts, emotions and feelings that you may be having. I think that's so important because in order to go into a dating experience or a new relationship is really important to understand more about that. So I would invite people actually listening to this show to look back over your history and to see whether there's any resonance there and an opportunity to heal from that. I think that's such a valid point there that you said, Paul. So, you know, in order to go into these first date experiences or dating experiences as well, you're working on yourself. How can we potentially create an unforgettable positive dating experience because we hear a lot about things that might be going so well but what can we do in order to have a positive dating experience yeah so so it it um it starts with what you said in terms of working on yourself Mm -hmm. but but i want to underscore that because uh you know uh therapy and mental health awareness and Mm self-development is definitely a cool thing now but watching one podcast doing one affirmation uh you know thinking about something that happened in the past for an hour is Mm. not enough right so we're talking about real work we're talking about when when we would have clients come to us for matchmaking we would go we would spend between three and six months just doing the work Mm. before any matchmaking started so you think about that three to six months of just work before yeah. that make sorry. So so that's where it begins because if you don't and and what and also too is the work never ends. And if 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 you are not actively addressing these challenges, every experience is going to encompass triggers. Yeah. That that is just going to you off and upset mm-hmm. you. And self-doubt and biases creep in. So, 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 so that's, that's one, that's the first place. Mm. The next place is not even to go on the date. The next place is to build up your support community. Um. Who is going to be able to give you rational advice, rational feedback. Mm. So friends is something that is disappearing. When research is done, you know, there's a lot of research right now on what's called the 3 a.m. friend. So you think, how many people do you know that you could call at 3 a.m. with an issue, right? Because it's 3 a.m., so you woke up. How, how many people who would pick up the phone, not let it go to voicemail, like who would pick up the phone and talk with you mm. for an hour? How many people do you have? When research is done on men, especially men under 30, uh, in the UK, in Australia, in the United States. You know what that, the number, you know, at one point the number was eight. Uh, the number was five friends. You know what the number is today? Zero. Ooh. Not one. Not one, right? And the social circle for women shrinking as well. Okay. So the first place is to begin to invest in a crew yeah. of friends, people that you could go to for rational input because what you're about to do is you're about to start dating, which we know you're going to be irrational at doing. 
and you need to have a support network. You need to have a village. You must have a village. You know, you know, uh, not to go on on a crazy tangent, but um, there's lots of reasons why dating is so hard. But one of the reasons is that we're dating in ways that we've never dated or never mated. Thinking about evolutionary psychology, we've never mated in the history of the world. Like we're talking about a planet that depending on who you talk to is between hundreds and thousands or millions of years old. But, yeah. but the point is that we lived in these hunter gatherer packs mm. for almost the entirety of this. And it wasn't until the 1960s and seventies that we've started to date in more in, in, in such a different way. So, so the point there is that we haven't figured this out as a society. Mm -hmm. It's super confusing, and therefore you meet, need to have a support network. So, that, so that's number two. Yeah, sure. Number three is you have to get right in what your relationship goals and intentions are. Okay. At Tinder, you know what the most popular feature is on the app? The most popular feature. What's that? Is when you start, we give you six options mm -hmm. of what are your relationship goals. You could pick. Do you want a long-term relationship? Do uh -huh. you want short-term to long-term? Do you want to just have be friends? Yeah. Do you want something just fun for the night? Like, what do you what do you want? Getting clear about your relationship goals is critical because what ends up happening is you got a lot of people who maybe want a long-term relationship, mm -hmm. but they're on a date with somebody who just wants a short-term relationship. Yeah, it's never it's never it's never gonna fly, right? So getting clear about what your relationship goals are. If your relationship goals are long-term, get clear about what your standards are. Uh-huh. Right? What is it that you are looking for in a partner? Mm. Precisely. Not And don't just give me, he needs to be a certain height or he needs to be a certain age. Um, but give me precisely what it is that you're looking for yeah. and why that's important. Right. Mm, yes. you're, you're, those standards. So you see all of this stuff I'm saying before you can go on, on the date, because yeah. most of us do none of that work. Mm. Get on the date. Well, of course, we're, we're going to be unhappy. We got nobody to support us. No rational support. We don't know how have our goals. We're on a date with somebody who doesn't want what we want. Right. We're sufficing. We're triggered because of the trauma in the past. Yeah. <laughs> Like that, that's the reason why, why, why it's crazy. The best time to work on your relationship is before you enter your relationship. Mm, absolutely. And what you were saying before is like the healing isn't, it's a journey. So you may still be healing alongside when you meet somebody, yes. but it's doing as much work as you can before, which is so important. And what you were saying there just kind of made me think about the whole element of loneliness as well, with that number of people just dwindling in terms of who can you call at 3 a.m.? And that number being so shocking in terms of who you can call. When you're talking about getting clear on your relationship goals and when you perhaps you're even going on the date, there's some people who feel really nervous about asking those deep questions too soon into a date, first date, second date. What's your thoughts on people asking those deep questions to understand more about what somebody's relationship intentions are? Yeah. You know, so th this is the tricky one because you want to ask questions, you know, where you're curious, mm -hmm. but ultimately, you know, the world's filled with lots of liars. 
you know, and filled with lots of what's called the dark tetrad, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people who are psychopaths or Machiavellian or sadists, right? Um, uh, or narcissists, those, that's the, the dark tetrad. And those are people who are really good at lying, you know? So you could sit and you could ask them all the questions you want and they'll give you the best answers and you think you got the right person, you know? Uh, and then they use you. Mm. And that's the reason why intensity of questions on a first date or a second date doesn't really tell you much. Yeah. The, the key, in my opinion, is that you want to go into a first date and you just want to find out two things. Mm. One is, are you physically attracted to the person? You know yeah. what I mean? This is yeah. important. It's very important. Yeah. Are you at least minimally physically attracted to the person? And remember, physical attraction is not just, all right, they look good. It's like, no, let them, as they walk around, you know, scent is important, right? How they move, tone of voice, all of these aspects. Are you physically attracted to them? The second question is, did they listen to you? Oh, yes. Now, remember, hearing is different from listening. Yeah. Hearing is the sound comes in, hits the eardrum. That's that's hearing, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to hear you. But did they listen to you? Did the sound come in? Did they consciously think about what you're saying? Mm -hmm. Did they add to the conversation? Did they ask you questions about what you, about what you were saying? Yes. That's active listening. If they can listen and there's attraction, right? That's chemistry, right? So, you know, mutual listening, mutual att attraction, that's real chemistry. That's a green light to say, let's move to the next date, right? Yeah. Now, when you start moving to these subsequent dates, it's in their action, not necessarily their words. It's in their action that tells you everything you need to know. Do they cancel dates? Do they show up to, to, to do they, do they put energy and effort into, in, into the dates? Yeah. Um, do, as you begin to see and hear more about them, do their values begin to match up to what they've professed in the past? You know, a, a great example of this is, you know, there's a lot of people that, that, that will say, you know, I'm, I'm religious, you know, I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's all about, you know, it's, it's all about, uh, I'll just throw it out Christianity, for example, for like, okay. yeah. that's my thing. And you say, okay, I hear you. Right. And you see, they come, the, 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 the meal comes, they pray before the meal. You're like, I found myself a good, you know, sure enough. <laughs> yeah, you showed up. Right. But then, you know, six weeks goes by in the relationship. You found out it's not been to church once, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, okay, hold on for a second. Like, Tell me, you know, so you look through the actions mm -hmm. and you begin to see do the actions lead up. Yeah. And then you can assess things like what's their curiosity like? How kind are they? Mm. You know? And 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 then and then the, the then the biggest one, the biggest, biggest one over time is something that's called low neuroticism. Right? So whenever we are stressed we show up differently. Mm. But the question is, are we able to rebound from the stress to get back to ourselves, to support our partner, right? Sometimes when people get hit with stress, they feel it for months. Yeah. Sometimes they get hit with stress and they turn into the most evil person in the world, evil to everybody around them. Yeah. That's neurotic. Mm -hmm. 
when you have low neuroticism, that means that some something stressful happens, you bounce back, right? Yeah. Emotional stabil stability. You need a partner like that who's going to be consistent because that allows you the ability to trust because mm -hmm. you know the person who's showing up for you today will be there tomorrow, no matter what the stress is. And yeah. you know there will be stress tomorrow. Mm. So the dating process allows for you to see, do they have low neuroticism, right? Are they curious? Are they kind? The values match. You see that through actions. Mm -hmm. through actions. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of it is around integrity, isn't it? The words and actions being in alignment there. And also what you're saying there, just made it, it brought it back to that whole friendship thing for me when you're talking about it, that you can trust that that person is consistent because as we get older, looks will fade, things may change, we may have health situations and issues that come up. But at the core, when we have that friendship, that is what we can see, whether we can assess on those dating experience. Like, I, could I even just be friends with this person? I mean, even if it wasn't to turn into something romantic, at the core, could they just be a really kind person? So you get to assess their, their values. Are they kind? Are they respectful? So getting clarity on your values before even getting into the dating experience, as you said, your standards, your values is super, super important. I also like what you said there, Paul, in terms of when you're setting your relationship goals to ask yourself why it's important to you, yes. because it's the why that is the motivation. I would say there's a term, your why will make you fly. Yes. And so yeah. it's like that will keep you motivated, even on those days where you make wake up and having that dating fatigue, for example, and you just, oh, don't know. But it's that why. So what are your relationship goals? And I like to add something on top of that, too, particularly with my clients, is and how would it make you feel? Mm -hmm. Because you now we are in this energetic feeling based universe. And yes. I think when you can tap yes. into how it makes you feel as well, your goal, then you wake up like, oh, yeah, I feel good. Yeah, it feels absolutely awesome. So. I absolutely love everything that you shared there, Paul. Now, obviously, one of your greatest achievements is being a husband. Yes. And a husband to the wonderful Jill, and you've got Kingston and Liam as well, I understand too. Mm -hmm. Now, please tell me, what have been some of your, your key learnings from your relationship experiences? Oh, man. I mean, it's endless. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's endless. And, and, you know, what I try to do uh, through the television projects and, and, and with social media is I, I try to be fully transparent on the ups and the downs that happen, you know, in the relationship. Like I remember uh, Jill got mad at me and she was, you know, she was going in a little bit. I picked up my camera, I filmed it. You know, I was like, look, you know, <laughs> this does happen, you know. Yeah. Um, the, the fact that conflict is actually good. Mm -hmm. uh or should I say your ability to resolve the conflict is, 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 is important because it strengthens the relationship. Yes. So th th there's an endless number of things that, that I've learned, but you know, if I were to, let me try to like pack it into, to, to maybe three of the top ones. Mm -hmm. um, one I would say is nothing will replace time. Okay. Nothing will replace time. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I, or we as a family, we try to spend intentional time together. And when I say intentional time, not just, you know, we're doing nothing on Saturday, so we're all sitting in the house. No. Yeah. Let's plan an activity for us all to do that we can all participate in the activity together and continue to do that every week, every week, every week. We as a family uh, have dinner together every night. Uh, if I'm on set, I'm coming home late. Typically the family waits for me, you know, 
uh, so so that we have that that time together, you know. So time, and the reason why that's so important is because it's in those moments over dinner, you know, walking to the park, whatever. It's in those moments that you're able to not only appreciate each other, but you learn about each other, and then it allows you to grow together, mm. opposed to growing apart. Because one of the top uh, moments for divorce now is what's called uh, empty nest, right? So when the when the children yeah. graduate from school, they go off to university or whatever it may be, parents look at each other and they're like, what? <laughs> who are you? <laughs> who are you? Exactly. I don't even know who you are, right? We have no reason to stay together. <laughs> you know? So bye, you know? Yep. But if you are spending intentional time together, you mm. can grow together. So, so, so one is time. Um, I would say another one is, uh, this one is controversial, but this is, I passionately believe in it is, uh, you know, my wife comes first before my children. Um, and the reason why is because, and that's not to say because they come second, you know, you know, yeah. it, but it, it is to say that the love that uh, my wife and I have, so our foundation is the foundation that will set them up yes. for success. Mm-hmm. And if there are cracks and issues in the foundation between myself and, and, and Jill, that's also going to have a negative impact on them. So the love that we have as a partnership is du- directly impacts mm. how these two human beings are going to show up for the rest of their life. Yeah. So, so, so that, that's, that's a big one. So that's number, number two. Um, and number three is, you know, um, <laughs> number three is kids will be what they see. You, you know, um, I, I really believe that they'll be what they see. Mm-hmm. If they witness, you know, uh, you, you know, it, it could be, seem like something minor, but it's so important. I, you know, uh, I remember when my, my oldest is, is, his name is Kingston. Um, and he, when he was like, nine ten we're walking down the street and I was behind them I, I normally like to walk behind them uh you know to I'll film them a little bit and uh I, I was walking behind them and my son switched positions okay. with, uh with Joe so he went from the inside of the street to the outside of the street right or like you know the inside uh like away from what I would call the curb yeah to the street Ooh. And held her hand, and I, I I recorded it, so I have it. And then I asked him afterwards, and he said, "Oh, I was being a gentleman, you know." Um, and I thought, "Wow, this kid—he just has witnessed, you know, he's witnessed this, so he then does this." Now, you know, some people may argue, "Oh, well, you know what? Men don't have to do that." But the point of the matter is, is this is a value that I have. This is a value that I've now passed on. They'll be what they see. Yeah. Now, if I was doing something roguish and crazy, like we get into an argument and I hit my wife, mm-hmm. he's going to see that. And what do you think he's going to do? When he, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Children, they're, they're like, you know, um, in the States, we call it silly putty. You know, it's like they're, they're, they'll be what they see, you know, yeah. so... Yeah. Um, yeah, so 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 that would be my my third. If I were to sum it into into, mm. I recall you also saying about the importance of understanding each other's love languages. Um, I hand out that was how important for you. It's a game changer, actually. 
Um, was Jules, was it gifts? Jules. Yes. <laughs> for sure, it's gifts. <laughs> but it took for you to understand that, to understand, okay, this is the way that she wants to receive love and appreciation, and it's okay for that. It's just her love language. Yeah. So I would say for a lot of people, if you're not aware of the, the five love languages, there's a quiz. You can go online. It's by a guy called Dr. Gary Chapman. You can find it online. Discover it because it can be so enlightening. And once you start to understand your partner's love language too, you can actually go through and say, so what can I, what would you like me to stop, start, continue doing in those elements? And I think that's quite a powerful exercise because when you can have that state of the union talk, as I like to call it, and I love the fact that you are intentional about the time that you spend with each other, because also if we can be intentional with the time that we spend with our significant other, then we can also say, how often do you want to just check in? Like, what's working? What's not working? Those kind of things, like I like an audit. It sounds really structured, like, but, it is still something important for us to do. We can have performance management at work. You sit down, check in how you're performing. I think it's important to have that conversation with your significant other as well. Do you? Oh, oh yeah. You, you know, so so I, I find uh, uh, two things interesting. So one is uh, the check-in, right, is something that a lot of couples do, right, the, the check-in. They may check in every week, two weeks, month, whatever. Um, but then I also find that couples who are very intentional about their time, the check-in innately happens through those opportunities because mm -hmm. you know you have those opportunities. So it becomes just a part of the day to day. So I would say for uh, Jill and myself, that's more so our flow is yeah. that we're we're just around each other. We're seeing each other all the time. Like we just came back from from uh, from from lunch. We have a dinner that we're going to tonight. Mm -hmm. It's one of these where we incorporate it into the 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 flow, right? Uh, but that's not to say that either one is better. Mm -hmm. the point is that you have to assess. You have to, and if you are the reason why most people don't is because they're fearful mm. of what their partner will say or think. And, and, and the issue with that is that if you become fearful of what your partner is going to think based on what you're saying, that means that you don't have emotional intimacy with your mm. partner. Because that means that you feel as if you can't be fully vulnerable with your partner. So, so that means that it's that emotional intimacy category is something that you need to focus on. Oh, yeah, I completely understand that. And if you are feeling that way, it's asking yourself, why is it, as you said, you know, is it that emotional intimacy that is lacking? Maybe that person might not even be emotionally available for you. But it's an opportunity to explore because sometimes we can get a red flag and want to bail and run. But for me, I think sometimes red flags is just there to explore, to ask those questions, to go a bit deeper before you make a decision on what might be the ultimate outcome, but just really explore it. Cause there might actually be some inner work for us yes. to do rather than actually just putting it all on our significant other too. So, you know, sometimes it feels like relationships can be complicated, but it doesn't necessarily, I mean, you've done the, you're all for the book, aren't you? About the complications around it. What's it called? It's, um, it's complicated. It's, it's complicated. Right. But yeah. it doesn't have to be. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I wrote that one. It feels like a million years ago. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, to, to your point is that it, it does feel like, Oh my God, there's a lot of work. I have to do this. I got to do that. I got to watch this. But ultimately all of that work that you're doing is not for the relationship with other. It's for yourself. 
And it's so that you can show up just as your best self. Mm -hmm. And if you think about also the partnership is that the biggest question, the biggest decision that we make in life is who we choose as a partner. You know, um, it's uh, Dr. Waldinger from uh, Harvard has one of the greatest studies on this where, you know, this is, seems to be a, a big buzz right now. Uh, the book, it's, I think it's retitled in the UK. I think it's called how to live a good, good life uh, is, is the book. It just came out here, but it is essentially, it breaks down that if uh, a relationship leads to, or strong relationship, should I say, leads to you living longer, you making more money, you being physically healthier, right? Mm -hmm. You reducing uh, issues, right? That, that you know, in your life, like uh, physical issues, right? Yeah. Yeah. All of this connects to the point where um, there have been studies around trauma that have shown the most powerful that I've ever seen. Uh, and this is uh, Dr. Gabor has this research where they have uh, women, it was a study done on 2000 women. This is in the United States. All of these women had issues in their relationship. Half of them talked about their issues with either their support group, right? Their friends or family members or a therapist. The other half didn't talk to anyone about it. The half that didn't talk to anyone, four times more likely to die. Oh. Now you think about, well, why is that? Well, what Dr. Gabor's research shows is that because expressing yourself is directly tied to your immune system. So when you express yourself, you're not suppressing your immune system. If you suppress your thoughts, you suppress your immune system. And therefore, you're more susceptible to, to, to disease, right? Mm -hmm. so, so, so you see how it's incredibly, incredibly important to do all of these things not necessarily for someone else, but but just for you. Like, if you want to live your best life, <laughs> do it for you. Absolutely. It's just incredible that the mind-body connection is huge. And yeah. it is, and vice versa, the body-mind connection, you know, it flows either way. So to be able to have that connection with yourself, your mind-body connection with yourself, can ultimately be fantastic for yourself. And then also for any relationship or dating experience that you want, like a cherry on the cake, really, isn't yes. it? It's a cherry on the cake. Like get get your cake and get your cherry too. Hey. <laughs> That's how the cookie crumbles. Yes. So cool. I have absolutely loved this conversation with you. It's been absolutely amazing. You shared so many insights, which I knew you would do anyway because I follow your work. And I know the audience are going to be super chuffed for this conversation. But before you go, I would love if you would be able to share with our audience one key takeaway that they could take to help them on their journey of love, life and relationships. You, you know, uh, I'd say continue listening to this podcast, oh. to, 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 right, to, 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 your, to your podcast. And the reason why is because ultimately, you know, therapy just means healing mm. and healing begins with awareness. And then you, you become aware and then you get some instruction in terms of how do you go about now healing yeah. and then you get inspiration, right. To, to, to want to do it. Your, your podcast has it all, you know? And so uh, that's what I would say. That's, that's oh, Thank that's you so much. You heard Paul, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>
subscribe, follow, <laughs> listen to this over and over again. Have yes. it on repeat. It's been absolutely amazing. Paul, where are you hanging out? Where can people find you if they want to follow you if they're not already following you? Have you got any events coming up too that we might be interested in? Well, I'd say just come meet me at the pub, uh, drinking my red stripe. That's <laughs> Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, I mean, I'm at Paul C. Brunson on, on all the socials and I try my best to respond to everybody. I normally, I, I know I don't get to everyone, but yeah. I try my best to respond to everybody. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm doing a bunch of TV shows that I'm super excited about. I have a bunch of projects that I'm working on that I'm super excited about. Uh, I feel blessed and stressed. Uh, but the blessing <laughs> is, 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 uh, is the why that's making me fly. There you go. Brilliant, Paul. Thank you once again for your time, for your energy today and for everybody else. And also I'm going to drop the links to Paul's various different socials in the showcast notes. So have a look at those. And for everybody who has listened to this podcast episode, I want to thank you for your time, for your attention and your energy too. And until the next episode, take great care of yourself and others too. Thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, make sure to check out the show notes in the description with all the important links and how to connect with and follow Teresha directly. If you are motivated and encouraged after listening to this, please follow and subscribe to this podcast. Hey, and whilst you're there, go ahead and leave a five-star rating and add a review. We would love to hear what aha moments there were for you. And you know that saying, sharing is caring. So tell your family and friends about this podcast too. So until next time, take great care of yourself and others too.